because of the research and how it's been formulated online, um, it's kind of like, oh, if you visualize it, it will happen. It will 100% happen. First time it's you visualize it, it will happen. what they call manifestation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, manifest it now and it will come tomorrow. And I think mm-hmm. it sets people up for failure. Mm. You still have to put in the work. Facts. You, you know, as you're saying, like, you know, it hit you hard. You, you couldn't have just visualized the day before and then you're going to go and run sub free marathon. It doesn't work <laughs> like that. <laughs> it does. Sadly, it doesn't work like that. You know, I'd be out of a job if it did. What is up, everybody? This is Matilda Aguirre Cooper, and you're listening to Finesse Your Wellness, the podcast that explores what it means to thrive and live well. So I was recently trying to remember who was the very first athlete that I was just inspired by. My mind naturally goes to Michael Jordan, but I think that's simply because I grew up at a time where Jordan was super famous, super big, super everywhere. <laughs> and he, he was just that guy. And also he had the documentary recently. But if I'm going to be truly honest to myself, I probably got more inspiration from Venus and Serena Williams. They're black women. We are all age mates, pretty much. We're around the same age. And also just the fact that they did so much for the game, for representation, for black women. And the thing that I've taken from Venus and Serena is just their resilience and discipline, right? And and more broadly, I just think there's something about athletes that's very inspirational that we can learn from. So I really wanted to kind of dissect the athletic mindset and really understand what is it that they're doing that we could potentially learn from. And I'm so, so blessed that I managed to come across this amazing guest who's on the episode today. Jodi is a chartered sports and exercise psychologist working in both sports and exercise spaces. Through her work, she supports people with long-term health conditions, as well as working with athletes ranging from the elite to amateur, supporting them with competition anxiety, building health routines, and working through injuries. So I wanted to chat to Jodine to discover what we can learn from athletes and their mindset and the ways this can influence our own perspective of ourselves and the world around us. Enjoy. Hey, Jodine. Welcome to the Finesse Your Wellness Podcast. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you so much for being here. So personally, I am quite obsessed with psychology. It's always good. Some people may not know this, but I actually wanted to be a psychologist growing up. And I'm really kind of, I think I've gotten to a stage in my life where I know that mindset is key. Mm -hmm. And I'm also fascinated with sort of like the idea of the athletic mindset. So when I was researching this topic, I don't even know how I came across you on the gram. I think you might have been following Fly Girl Collective, um, but you were the right person. <laughs> you <laughs> were the person I needed to chat to because I'm like, she's going to help me unlock some stuff and help me get into this topic in a, in a real deep way. So I guess just as an introduction, mm-hmm. you are a sports psychologist. Yeah. What exactly do sports psychologists do? So I'm going to be pedantic here because the British Psychological Society would want me to. Okay. Um, So I'm a sports and exercise psychologist. Okay. Um, So it's a protected term in the UK. So that, that would be the first part. Um, Oh, what do we do? The good stuff we do. So we work in a number, we can work in a number of different domains. So we can work in sports performance. So when we say performance, we mean kind of dance, 
high performing teams like lawyers and so on and so forth. Okay. Um, and then we can also work in exercise space. All of those spaces look different, um, mm-hmm. but they are all interesting, which is fantastic. So essentially what we do, what how I like to explain it is we take people from A to B. Mm-hmm. Um, so we will be presented with a problem or someone will have a performance need or have a goal and we'll help them get to that goal using psychological tools. So it might be they're suffering from injury and we need to use a set of tools or help them work through that injury to be, to enhance their performance. Or it might be someone is overweight um, and their GP has referred them to us and we need to help them either lose weight or create effective behavior so that they can sustain a healthy weight long term. Wow. Okay. So pretty powerful role, especially for the people that employ your your tools and services. And yeah. so what led you to move into the space of psychology? Oh gosh, the good question that I always love. So originally I was definitely going to be in the FBI. Okay. I was definitely going <laughs> to, you know, study criminal minds. That's what I was going to do. I clearly watched way too much TV as a, chi- um, as a child, but I always knew it was going to be psychology or human behavior. I love it. I'm fascinated by it. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, the way we interact as a society, I find interesting the way we interact as human beings. I find interesting. Um, I guess during my educational journey, I did track and field alongside that. Okay. Um, I became, I say became injured, but essentially I have an extra bone on my foot, which means that certain activities um, are difficult. And at that time, people didn't really know what it was. It was kind of, you have flat feet and X, Y, and Z. Mm. And I just, all I knew was I'm in a lot of pain. I'm struggling. Mm -hmm. I can't do what I want to do. I had a sports psychologist um, at the time. Um, and I was like, oh, this is a profession. So you were, so the fact that you had a sports psychologist, does that yeah. tell me you were on track to being a professional athlete? Oh, that would have been nice. Um, I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to boast and lie here. No, um, I would, the goal for all of us was to go to the Olympics. I trained three, four times a week. Wow. Um, I trained for New Mexico Spiegels, did some events for, for them, but I could never reach full capacity because I was always in pain. So whatever that looks like, I don't know, but I did, you know, English schools, ran all of the track and field events at school, um, was either first or second. So I loved it. It was in my blood, you know, helps that my mum was born and raised in Jamaica and Mm -hmm. so was my dad. Um, so that helps, but I I guess I just wasn't designed for it, um, body wise. Um, yeah, so I, so I wouldn't say I was on track for the Olympics, quote unquote, but then again, I dropped out too young for anyone to even know that. Um, so I stopped baby nine, 1920 is when I kind of just stopped taking it seriously because I was in too much pain. Mm. Um, but yeah, I had a sports psych. So my coach referred someone to me who I guess didn't really understand what I was going through, but I was like, Oh, this is a profession. I can work in a space, which I love, which Mm -hmm. is sport and help people, which I also love. Um, so I went off to be a sports and exercise psychologist, not an easy journey. Um, but yeah. How long was was the journey? Oh gosh. You're going to make me do some public math. I would say (laughs) maybe, maybe like eight years. So I did. Yeah. I took the long route though. So everyone bear in mind. 
So I did uh, four years undergrad because we ha- I had to do a find- foundation in science. I'm not sure why, because I got a fantastic science degree, um, science GCSEs. Mm-hmm. So I had to do a foundation degree in science. Then I did my BSc. Then because I didn't do a base level of psychology, which you should have done, I had to do a, a postgrad diploma for a year and a half in psychology. Then I did my master's in sports and exercise psych for a year. And then I did two, three years um, supervised practice. So we have to um, work under a supervisor and then I got qualified. So hmm. it wasn't a short journey. I'll say that. Yeah, but you, that's how you know you're legitimate. Yeah. And <laughs> that's how you know I love it because I could have dropped out a long time ago. Exactly. Exactly. So what's quite interesting about what you do now, mm-hmm. you have your own initiative organization mm-hmm. called Mind Advantage. Mm-hmm. And you say that sports and exercise psychology and improving your mindset is for everyone. Yep. So I guess I'm quite curious to know what's the difference between an athletic mindset and just a general mindset? Ooh. So I think we have to take this into consideration. Athletes are high performing. So if we're talking about elite athletes, the level of pressure that they're under, not only from their sport, but from the public is high level. Mm -hmm. So I would say that's the difference between what they have to do and the general public mindset. So when you're looking at it, they have to be resilient. So they Mm -hmm. have to be able to bounce back. They have to be able to deal with injury because a lot of them pick it up throughout their journey. Um, bad, how to bounce back from bad performances, how to, you know, navigate a coach athlete relationship, how to navigate a social life and being an athlete. Most of us are just trying to navigate life. Mm -hmm. If you look at some athletes, for example, I worked in women's football at championship level. Some of them are working full-time jobs and they're athletes and their parents. Yeah. So some of them will have the added pressure of you know, general mundane life and being an athlete. So I would say in terms of general mindset versus athlete mindset, there's a higher function in there. There's, and there's a need to have a higher functioning because of what they have to output. It's a numbers game for them. They have to compete. They always have to be on top form. So it's a higher level of, I guess, pressure and being able to deal with that pressure. Um, to but be honest, we could learn mm. some skills from them though, because we still deal with stress and pressure in our everyday life, but maybe it just seems different because it's not, if we fail at work, you know, it's not going to be on TV <laughs> Sure, <laughs> yeah, and no one's going to, no one's going to, um, say any, a comment to us on social media or mm. our family's not going to, you know, get comments about it at work and those other elements. So there are things that they have to deal with that the everyday public don't have to. Mm. But it's interesting as you were sort of breaking down the qualities of the mindset and you kind Mm -hmm. of started with like high performance and, you know, wanting to fundamentally be the best. I mean, Mm -hmm. I know within myself, that's something that I aspire to. I know many quote unquote type A personalities. You're doing pretty well, you know, doing pretty well. (laughs) I'm trying. You know, I know any type A personalities that kind of want to get to that level. I mean, Mm -hmm. what is probably some of the things that you teach athletes that we could start to learn if let's say you're just very ambitious? So I would say, take a, take an audit of your mindset. You know, what areas do you want to be stronger in? So we, for example, can performance profile. So we look at where athletes feel they need support and where they feel like they could, you know, where they're already excelling, you know, do a mindset audit. Where are you doing well and what do you struggle with? So for example, 
do you struggle with conflict? Do you shut down during conflict? Which means that you're not able to deal with certain situation, which is hindering your growth. So I would say the first step is really looking at your mindset and where you're struggling. Um, but also those key skills like resilience, that we could all use that. That's not just for athletes. How do you bounce back? What does that look like? We're all going to be faced with trials and tribulations. But the real point is how we kind of get through that and bounce back and overcome that. So I would say learning that um, and understanding kind of those negative thought processes, that negative self-talk, because something people talk about all the time and you see captions online and they say, you know, people, you spend most of the, most of your time with yourself. So make mm-hmm. sure you're talking to yourself kindly, but we don't, a lot of us aren't self-aware enough to realize how many negative thoughts are going through our mind often and how they're also allowing and guiding us day to day. And if you can really pinpoint those things, then you're able to kind of do better. Mm. And so let's just say someone isn't necessarily Mm self-aware and this is probably maybe one of the first times that they're kind of getting in tune or I suppose building that emotional intelligence, getting in Mm -hmm. tune with the way they think. What exactly is mindset in of itself? Is it just the way you perceive things? Is it the way you you think about things? That's a big question. Yeah. Like what is the mindset? Like I I think, you know, we're talking about it and we obviously inherently know what it is, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but I suppose for someone who doesn't even think about mindset, what, how would you explain it to them? How I, there's not the Google terminology, but how I would explain it is how you navigate and perceive the world based on your experience, experiences, whether that be past or present or it can't be future, but past or present experiences. So it's essentially your perception of the world based on what you've experienced. Mm. And I think it's understand, people need to understand that this can flex and change. Your mm-hmm. mindset doesn't need to be rigid. It can be if people aren't working on themselves and working on their mindset, mindset. but we need to understand that, that that's malleable. It can change. And people talk about neuroplasticity and how you know we can learn things and the brain can rewire and change. And that is all very true. So don't ever think that where you are now mindset-wise that you can't excel and change that. Mm, that's that's a teachable moment right there because I think to your point about experiences mm-hmm. I know that a lot of people a lot of us the community mm-hmm. we can often feel that our progression is limited yeah. because of where we have started from Agreed. and we know that there are actual real life restrictions and mm-hmm. glass ceilings that exist racism is a thing that's yeah. facts um but I suppose this idea, this hope that you don't have to stay there, like mm-hmm. you can look at your situation in a different way. That's really positive. Yeah. And I think if you study, if you study the greats and I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying that, you know, their life um, journey wasn't different, but if you study the greats and how they think about life, it's very different. It's that kind of solution focused mindset. It's not rigid. You know, they talk about growth and fixed mindset. It's that Mm -hmm. it's your mindset can change, but also understand that how you view and perceive the world is based on your values, your belief systems, your experiences. We're not going to say that, you know, the experience you had at 10 years old, um, 
is going to change because we can't go back in the past, but mm. how you view it and how you allow it to shape your mindset now can change. And that's what we can change. Mm. Okay. Hopeful, powerful. <laughs> and so looking at the work that you do again, I think one of the things that resonated with me was the fact that you are trying to help communities mm-hmm. really unlock the power of exercise. Yeah. What do you feel are the restrictions at the moment? Like what does prevent, say, our community yeah. from wanting to pursue it and turn it into a lifestyle? And, you know, I caveat this by saying, you know, I've been, I've always loved sports and exercise yeah. and movement. Um, and even though I'd like to think that we're in a society where fitness is more accessible than ever before, I still find myself the minority in spaces. Yeah. Yeah. regardless of if it's a bougie space, non-bougie space, running was free. And there was a world where I would see myself as the only runner, <laughs> yeah. you know, at park run. So what do you feel is, is the blocker? It's so interesting because first of all, hearing you say that makes me sad, but it is an experience that we all, a lot of us know, mm-hmm. um, if we looked around our families, I don't know if we would see a lot of people exercising. Um, in terms of blockers, there are many, as you said, some spaces are uncomfortable. I am, I am one for trying out new spaces. It doesn't, it doesn't matter if I'm going to be the only person there, I will go and try out the space because if, if another black person sees me in that space, right, that's fantastic. Um, and I will happily make myself a little bit uncomfortable to be in that space. So I've tried out all types of classes, but there are a few things. So for example, cost, mm-hmm. like if you want to go and do a Barry's boot camp or an Equinox or those high level quote unquote classes that can cost you 16 pound a class. Mm. That in itself is expensive. Um, representation, people not seeing themselves in those spaces and not wanting to be comfortable, um, be uncomfortable um, not wanting expectations placed on them when they're in their spaces. So mm. whether that's, you go to mixed martial arts and people just assume that you're strong or, (laughs) you know, someone doesn't want to pair with you because they assume that you're weak or whatever that looks like that they're not seeing others like them in that space. Not, not, not knowing where to start, you know, what class do I do? There's so much, you know, what class do I do? Where do I start is another thing, you know, closeness there. I can't talk about the whole model, but we use this model at work um, called the combi model. Mm. And it talks about people's capability, opportunity, um, motivation to change their behavior. And it looks at all of these kind of intersectionalities and moving parts as to why people don't exercise. And it's a bigger, a wider issue than we think. And there are so many different intersectionalities. It could be something as simple as what were we taught about exercise? Mm-hmm. And my mom didn't teach me anything about exercise at no fault to her own because her mom didn't teach her anything about exercise. Right. So we're creating these generations essentially of not exercising. And I'm not talking about, you know, there are amazing online um, communities for our community to get active. But if people are already inactive, those don't appeal to them. Mm. So how do they get up and move when, you know, it might be too expensive. It might be too far. Um, They've got kids. They, you know, they don't have any time after work. You know, after work time, they just want to use for themselves, there are so many barriers. 
hmm. um, that stop people from being active. Mental health, I've I've kind of seen and heard them all. So I think that question is big because there are so many barriers. And sometimes mm. for some people they're stacked and it's not just, oh, there's not a green space or park or a gym near me. It's there's not a gym near me and I can't afford it. And I have a, a two-year-old, um, I might be a single parent or I am with my partner, but he works and I work, whatever that looks like. So yeah, it, it, there are many reasons why we're not active. Gosh. And so in your work, what have, what's been some of the solutions? Like how have you helped people navigate mm-hmm. some of those challenges? I guess it's just looking at lifestyle. Um, what I try to do is really give people space in my work, whether I'm working with general population or athletes. And what we don't realize is a lot of people don't have space to offload their feelings, their fears and their thoughts. So I try to give them space first and foremost, but then I just help them kind of have a non-judgmental view over their life. Mm-hmm. What's happening in your life? You know, what are the barriers? What impact does that have? You know, let's set a goal. And I just take them step by step by step and help them do that rather than rushing. Because what I see in the fitness space is a lot of focus on weight loss. Mm-hmm. It's just like, oh, you know, do this 12 week challenge and lose weight or do this 12 week program and lose weight or join our weight management program. That shouldn't be the focus. And because that is the focus, that's all people are focused on. They're not focused on how do I make this a sustainable change long-term? And that's what I try to do with people. Look at their lifestyle. You know, do you have kids? Do you have a partner? What does that look like for you? Where do we fit exercise in and around that so that it doesn't impinge on some of those important values and life things for you so you can make it sustainable long-term? And I guess I just help them get out of their own way. I challenge them a little bit. I help keep them um, accountable. Um, but I, all in all, is just create a safe space for them to be able to open up and make some lifestyle changes. And that's all it is. It's just small behavioral changes that people can make um, so that they're able to ha- see that kind of long-term returns. Because mm, I was going to ask, what role does goal setting sort of play? Because oh, that feels quite started. key. Yeah. So I think we've been doing goal setting wrong. We hear it at work. We've been hearing (laughs) it online. And from a psychology perspective, it's more in depth than just, oh, set a goal. So what everyone does is they set a goal. I want to lose 10 pounds in six weeks. Okay. So first of all, that goal might not be realistic Mm -hmm. for you. That's the first thing. So what you've done is you've already put up a barrier because your goal isn't effective. Mm. We're not thinking about, you know, what are the milestones? What does that look like? How have, have we planned how we're going to actually execute that goal? We're just kind of setting these goals rather than really setting the goal intentionally. Mm. And that's, that's the main thing is, are we intentional about this goal or are we just setting it because we want to? And I think that's the first step where people go wrong is they set a goal that isn't cha- either challenging enough or it's not effective or it's not clear, it's not specific. And that means that they're already off on the wrong path. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say that you can't stick to your goal for three months, but then are you sticking to that long term where that's now a part of your everyday? That's mm-hmm. the key. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And it's interesting because I was actually um, chatting to someone recently about mm-hmm. um, just an opportunity. And 
one thing that w- was clear was that they actually haven't defined their goal. Yeah. So they want to go for this thing. It's like, yeah, but what do you actually want to do? Yeah. Because until you've clarified that, there's really, no direction. it won't help you. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's very directionless. And I think there was a view that I could help them figure that mm-hmm. out. And I'm like, to an extent, but this is very personal. This is you. This is what you want to do, not yeah. what you think I should tell you to do. Like that, that's not going to get you to to achieving this thing, right? Because, you know, like in workspaces, we talk about upskilling. It's like, yeah, but what's the particular skill <laughs> yeah. that you want to skill up on? <laughs> Let's focus on that. And then that can help us figure out sort of your direction. So that's that's a really good point. Goals yeah. I like to, to think of clear. it like a sat-nav. Mm. Like if, if you think about sat-nav, you input a location and that that's your goal. But along the way, there are, you know, turns, uh, blocked roads, you know, milestones, stops. That's your goal. We mm-hmm. can't just set it willy-nilly. Otherwise, we don't have any direction. Because mm. if we said to our sat-nav, go there, where's there? <laughs> you know, how long is it going to take you to get there? I don't know, because I, you haven't been clear about what there is. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, yes, but people do start off, you know, without setting that goal. But I think sometimes it's a bit of a rush. It's like, it's like especially if you're ready to get active now. So mm-hmm. I've decided after 12 months that I'm going to start doing something. I'm just going to set a flimsy goal and get started. The, they rarely have time to, I guess, sit down with someone like myself or my other colleagues and plan that out and have time to kind of really think about how that fits into their day-to-day. I don't think a lot of people have that. We just kind of set these goals and we'll see it. We'll see it this year. You know, as people go into the new year, they'll just set a goal without really thinking it through because mm. no one's really taught you how to do that. I know we have the acronym SMART and all of those other elements, but has someone actually sat down and said, okay, so you want to lose weight. Let's not, let's not focus on that. And I never focus on weight loss goals. Anyone that's worked with me will know. I always say, okay, what does that look like in time scale? Does that look like three days a week? Mm. What, what does that look like in your, you know, your mind's eye? Because if we set a goal of, you know, losing 10K and you don't lose 10K, you're going to be demotivated. And also if you do lose 10K, then what? What's the goal after that? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, So yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's really, really good. And earlier you touched on the fact that with the athletes, Mm -hmm. because clearly they they know what their goal is. They know that they have to win this game. They have to perform. Um, But if they don't perform, they're dealing with setbacks and failures in in Mm -hmm. such a public way. And so that I realize whether it's in Flygo Collective or whether my workplace, failure, setbacks can either mm. knock someone for 10 or they will they won't do stuff so they don't fail. Fail. Yeah. <laughs> so I suppose what can we learn about almost maybe the importance of failure and add to that how we deal with it? It's difficult because I I guess, like, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I don't remember being taught about failure growing up or in school. No No No. one taught you how to fail. It's just, even if you look at original school sports is we need to go out there and win, (laughs) you know, unless you get them really good PE teachers, it was, we need to go and win. You know, or we have to win. You, um, yeah. Ted Lasso. Like, did you watch Ted Lasso? (laughs) No, I haven't watched Ted Lasso. I've seen it everywhere, but. It's yeah, good. I'm going to watch it because yeah. someone else, another psych friend recommended it and I'm, I might go and watch it. Mm-hmm. What, what channel is that? That's Apple TV. So Okay, so that's it, why I haven't watched it. it. Wor- no, that's <laughs> like why I haven't watched it. I have, a sm- I have an Android. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> yeah. But um, 
It's interesting because Ted Lasso as the coach, oh, he very much is focused on teaching these guys how to fail. And there's yeah. a, you know, a run of losses that the team experienced before mm-hmm. um, the inevitable. But um, yeah, to your point, it's not something that people explicitly say, no, you're going to learn this. And this is how you're going, this is how you're going to learn it. And this is how you're going to feel and so on and so forth. And that's it is we're not, it's like a, dealing with uncomfortable situations or conversations. People aren't trained on how to do it. So they don't know how to do it. Mm. But what I would say on failure is it's a part of life. We cannot always achieve. And it's more difficult hearing that now people be like, yeah, yeah. You know, when I failed, you know, I've only got better from it, but it's really embracing that. It's really embracing the fact that you are going to fail. No one in this life group goes throughout life, whether that be a performer or, you know, a top lawyer without failures. You know, you can read in every autobiography and it say, you know, failures made me who I am and so on and so forth. So I think it's just reshaping that mindset around failure. Mm-hmm. Learn to enjoy it. And I enjoy so I, it. it. You do, you have to. And I say this about injury too. Mm. And I say it online um, about, I always put kind of bad performance in air quotations because mm. it's not a bad performance. You have to think of it as what can I learn here? Yeah. Yeah, you haven't performed to the standard that you wanted wanted to, and that's what makes it bad. But what can I learn here? What did I learn about my performance? Did I not prepare enough? Did I, you know, was it just a bad game? We could easily blame others, but what can I learn about it to make me better? Mm-hmm. And that's how you have to reshape it. And it do, that doesn't mean, and I think this is a really key point, that does not mean push your emotions down. That's not what it means. It doesn't mean don't feel how you want to feel in that moment because failures hurt and they're upsetting, especially if you have a goal, process that that's okay. You know, it's okay to be in that, but don't live in it. Don't allow it to become you. And then what can I learn here? You know, what went well, what didn't go well. And it's kind of working yourself through that. You could do that by journaling. You could have a person that you speak to about things. Um, you know, everyone has, I hope anyway, everyone has an avid supporter. You know, if a performance goes well, you can pre-prep them. Mm. You know, if today doesn't go well, these are the three questions I want you to ask me in a week's time. Give me some time to process my emotions and then I want to work through this. Or you can journal it yourself. You know, what did I learn about this experience? What will I take going forward? Um, And, you know, what went well? I always ask people what went well and they're like, what do you mean? I didn't do well. Yeah, but what went well? Did your mm-hmm. pre-performance routine go well? You know, did did the warm-up go well? Did the first mile of your marathon go well? What went well? So that we're kind of shifting that focus. Mm. But it's really about being comfortable with failure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in current society, people do avoid it. They, yes. they just, they shy away from it. It's like, oh, you know, if I don't do that 5K, then it's okay because I haven't failed. Because mm-hmm. I just won't do it. Um, but in a sense, are you failing yourself? Are you, fa- are you failing yourself or not allowing yourself to kind of push yourself to that full potential in mm. a sense? So you're failing some way or the other. I think, is there something about the expectations that are set? So like mm-hmm. prime example, I think a year ago, myself and um, one of the girls from the collective, Grace, we did London Marathon. Well we done, only you and Grace. Had- Thanks. We only had seven weeks to train. Now, me, Grace, we are so much about this fitness lifestyle. It's not a joke. We are out here. And I think we thought, you know what? (laughs) You know, every day we're hustling. Like, we got this. 
Man. Foot was burning you, innit? <laughs> yeah. We got exposed that day. <laughs> <laughs> By the time we got to mile 13, it's like, wow, kicked in. I think we're tapping out, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and bearing in mind, earlier in the year, we went to Paris. We ran Paris Marathon. We came in at like 4.30, 4.33, like, hey. Like, it was, it was a vibe. And this time, yeah. arguably, you could call it a setback or the fact that we had a certain expectation that wasn't met. Yeah. And so I know that visualization is sort mm-hmm. of like a, a technique that athletes use. Is visualization something that almost sets an expectation too high? Like how Ooh. can people almost use visualization in a way that if they don't get the outcome that they wanted, it was still a worthwhile exercise? Well, that's, it, that is, gosh, there's no research on that. That is interesting. (laughs) Call me off guard with that one. Well, I just think it's interesting that people use visualization to sort of increase their performance and their Mm -hmm. confidence. But what happens if, let's say, so, okay, maybe let's, let me break down the question. So first No, I understand understand the question. The question is fantastic. (laughs) But what is visualization? Like maybe that's probably a starting point for people who are listening. And then I'm curious to know, is visualization something, like how do we approach it? So if we do fail, Yeah, we're not like, oh, that doesn't work. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That is a phenomenal question, by the way. (laughs) Um, And I'm going to ask all my sports psychology friends that as well. Um, So visualization, essentially, it's got a few terms. So you've got mental rehearsal, imagery, um, and people interchange between the terms. But essentially what it is, is it's kind of like guided meditation, but Mm -hmm. you're visualizing either the success or the skill that you want to learn. Um, Usually people do it with their eyes closed um, and they are, they do it in a quiet space and it's kind of like meditation, but you are thinking about the experience or skill you want to learn. That's, that's the easiest I can put it. So for example, if you're a basketball player, um, you could be thinking about, you know, you winning a trophy or you winning a medal and what that feels like, what that looks like. It is a lot deeper than how people make it out to seem. Mm-hmm. So um, there is a method that I love and I cannot remember the acronym right now, but I will get it for the show notes. Mm-hmm. Um, but essentially what it talks about is, you know, putting yourself in the environment. How long does it take? Mm-hmm. You know, what does it feel like? Really immersing yourself in that visualization rather than I'm just going to sit and visualize success. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. other element is sometimes we think we can just sit down and visualize and it's, for some people, it's more difficult than that. You have to build yourself into it because how often do we quiet our minds in this, you know, in this busy world where we're getting pings and emails and, you know, we're overstimulated. How often do we quiet our minds? So sometimes to quiet your mind and visualize doesn't always go well. Mm -hmm. And you can visualize, you know, you failing and all other elements and that's totally okay. But it's a skill set that needs to be learned. The other the other element of it is it's not a magic pill. Mm. I think because of the research and how it's been formulated online, um, it's kind of like, oh, if you visualize it, it will happen. It will 100% happen. First time it's you visualize what they call it, it manifestation. will happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, manifest it now and it will come tomorrow. And I think mm-hmm. it sets people up for failure. Mm. You still have to put in the work. Facts. You, you know, as you're saying, like, you know, it hit you hard. You, you couldn't have just visualized the day before and then you're going to go and run sub free marathon. It doesn't work like that. <laughs> <laughs> it does. Sadly, it doesn't work like that. You know, I'd be out of a job if it did. Um, mm-hmm. I just teach everyone how to visualize and then I'd be done for the rest of the li- my lifetime. But um, 
no, it doesn't work like that. It's more, you know, you have to prep in addition to the visualization. And when everything, you know, it's kind of mind, body and soul when everything is, is ready and you're in your full, full state, I guess can, you can say, then you will be ready to perform and it might not go well. That doesn't mean the tool doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, that, I guess that's the best way to describe it, but no one has done research and correct me if I'm wrong. No one has done research on that, which is fantastic. Cause I might write that down as a research question, mm-hmm. um, because I think we only hear about the benefits of visualization and you right. know, if you visualize this is going to happen and you know, it's going to go well, but you never hear, okay, I've done the work and I visualized. And it still didn't go well. What now? But you touched on something really important when you said that visualization is deeper. And mm-hmm. actually imagine if we were visualizing and what what does failure feel like? Because then yeah. at least if you failed, you've kind of prepared yourself in that mm-hmm. respect. So you're looking at every possible outcome in that moment. And people use it for that as well. Right. So they do use it to kind of think through what could go wrong and how could I mm-hmm. overcome it so they do yes. use visualization for that and you can use it um for that um skill as well you can also use it during injury you can use it to learn a new motor skill and the brain scans don't lie you can go and read the research it showcases that visualization works but we have to be doing it properly it's similar to goal setting there are ways in which to do this um and research has shown there's better ways to kind of visualize so kind of immersing yourself in that experience, quieting your mind, um, you know, what environment are you in? It would be amazing if, if you were a footballer, you could go and sit on the pitch that you're going to play on and visualize, mm. you know, really being in that space. What does the air feel like? It's, it can be more complex, mm-hmm. but manifestation is totally different. That's not, mm. um, not really something that sports psychologists promote, but it's manifestation kind of visualization. All these elements are kind of intertwined mm. and they kind of take bits from each other. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. And so kind of semi last question, mm-hmm. but we obviously look up to athletes in society. We see Coco win. We're so yeah. inspired by rooting her. Rooting for her at the moment. Rooting for her. Rooting for everyone black. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and allies. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, but what I find a little bit of a slight conflict is when we look to them for our, I suppose, not just motivation, but mm-hmm. in a weird way, their lifestyle. And I think at the beginning of this chat, even you focus on the fact that they're performing in completely different level in playing. Yeah. If there were just maybe a couple of things, though, that we could take from athletes so that we know we could actually incorporate in our yeah. daily routines or lives, what would that be? Oh, definitely resilience, how they bounce back from things. That is a, that is a core skill, you know, being able to fail publicly as well and, um, being able to fail publicly and bounce back from that. Mm-hmm. I've seen a few guys in the tech space and they do something called building in public. So they'll build their company in public and on Twitter. And if they fail, they fail because everyone's seen it and they tell people they're, they're going to build in public. Fantastic for resilience and, and kind of mindset building. I would say that, um, I would also say goal setting, setting effective goals. Um, they will set goals with either Sykes or their performance team. I would say that's a really good, really good skill. Also discipline. Can you imagine what it's like to be an athlete? Hmm. Like kind of, <laughs> it's, yeah, you're an athlete. I'm classing you as, I class everyone oh, as an athlete to be yeah. frank. 
But if we're talking like elite performance, mm. that kind of discipline to not always, you know, they've got a race and they have to, you know, not go to a friend's party or they've missed mm. X, Y, and Z to kind of hyper-focus on this thing because they have something to achieve. Yes. So I would say those are the main things that we can u- learn from them is resilience, kind of greatness, essentially, goal setting um, and how to be disciplined. And if anyone is interested, the new David Beckham um, series on Netflix. So even I just watched, I've watched the first 20 minutes and he talks about his parents. So I, I love it when other people talk about the athlete, not mm-hmm. them just saying, oh, I did X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. So his parents and the people around him were saying he was hyper-focused. He didn't go out, you know, even as a young boy, he wasn't focused about getting girls or staying out late or drinking. He was focused on football because mm-hmm. that's what he wanted to do. Um, so, you know, really adjusting our focus um, mm. and letting people know as well. So, yeah. Love that. So how does a sports psychologist of your wisdom and knowledge and insight finesse their wellness? Oh, I guess two things. I like knowledge. I love it. Like I'll buy a book every week if I could, but my bookshelf's not big enough. So I, I would <laughs> no, say... No Kindle? No Kindle? No. Do you know what? I had a Kindle, but there's something for me. And oh, no. I'm not even, I wouldn't say I'm like in my 60s or anything, <laughs> but there's something for me about having a book. Like I love... I I should get a Kindle. I did have, I had two, but I lost them. Um, There's something about having a book and flicking the pages and just, mm, you know, I could write a little pencil mark or a post-it note in there, whatever that looks like. So I would say that's how I finesse my wellness for my mind. For body-wise, I exercise a lot. I love it. Um, Not like overtrained, but I I try to move my body every day. So this morning I ran, um, I almost brew run tomorrow. I mix between running weights. I might pick up another sport, um, stuff like that. So yeah, it's just, I guess, movement um, for the body and then books and knowledge for the mind. Love it. And how can people access you, learn more about what you're doing, get more wisdom? Yeah. So mainly um, my Instagram page for kind of sports psychology mindset stuff. So mind.advantage. I'm coming back with some more stuff. So I'm working on that, but yeah, you can either contact me on there, drop me a DM or my email is in my profile. I'm always happy to just have a chat with people. People can book in 30 minutes with me totally free just to have a chat. Um, I can't solve any problems in 30 minutes, just to let you know. But yeah, you can have a have a little chat, a gander with me. Amazing. Thank you so much. I, l- I learned you. so much in 40 minutes. <laughs> like, Thank you for having me I'm though. definitely going to apply. Oh, take care. Bye. I, for one, am so grateful for Jodine's wisdom, expertise, knowledge, insight. I mean, there was so much I took from that conversation, but I can only share three. So here are my top three takeaways. Number one, check your mindset, audit your mindset even. If our mindset is malleable and we can actually change the way we look at things, it's really important to kind of get to the root of what influences our perspective and what we need to do so if we have like a you know if we struggle with conflict or we have negative feelings towards certain people experiences outlooks on life I think it's really important that we get to the heart of what that is so we can therefore change it and then number two setting goals 
I love a goal, you know. <laughs> and when people look at me and think about the things that I've done, it's simply because I've built a habit through goal setting. I think it's a great exercise, a great thing to engage in. And so I think as athletes themselves, they're always looking at that next race, that next opportunity, that next event that they're going to participate in. We too can adopt that mindset in our everyday. And then finally, talk nice to yourself, positive self-talk. You know, I think we are surrounded by so much negativity and it's really easy for us to be down on ourselves or critique ourselves or just, yeah, just be our biggest enemy and you know I speak as someone who very much was that type of person but I think even if it's the one thing that you identify that you're good at or again sometimes you gotta fake it till you make it right like sometimes you have to say you know what I am that chick even if you're not feeling that way it will make such a difference it will influence your mindset help you become so much more goal oriented and really just get you thinking in the way that you need to to get to where you want to go so I hope you enjoy this episode of Finesse Your Wellness brought to you by Flygo Collective, a space for black women and women of color who want to level up their wellness and lifestyle. You can follow Flygo Collective on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook or sign up to our mailing list at flygocollective.co for lovely tips, goodies and invites delivered straight to your inbox. Also, if you loved what you heard, rate and review us on iTunes. Thanks again for listening. Catch you on the next episode. <laughs>